Chickity check one, two, I'm about to come unglued. I'm gonna lay out a nice little rhyme for you. I'm, nope, just kidding. <laughs> but I'm not afraid to rap. I'll tell you one thing that I do not love. Singing in a mask, this was my first experience. Normally I'm on stage. That's a, not a fun experience. So thank you all. I think your offerings to God, he looks down and says, double blessing on you when you sing into a mask. So there's more crowns in heaven for you. This week was amazing because on Wednesday we had our Sukkot party. How many of you were at the Sukkot party? It was incredible. It was an incredible time. And I had a blast. A little band got to play and we did, had a blast. But one of the things that was really cool is... I got there a little late, which is not a surprise to anyone who knows me. And as I drove up and parked, I looked out, and there was creativity in motion happening in the courtyard. Between these piles of rubble, it was magical. Because over on the one side, you had, and if I forget someone's name, I apologize. If I had someone there it wasn't there, I apologize. But you had Gabe and Brian and Dan, and they're blowing up the huge toys for the kids. And Dan is kind of like Roy Kent. He's here, he's there, he's everywhere. For those who understood that, thank you. He's walking around telling people what to do. John Stewart and Peter are kind of like doing this, this choreographed dance where they're putting up the sound system. There's, there's climbing a ladder. There's going down the ladder. There's hooking up cables. Then you have Carrie, who is doing everything from telling people what to do to literally has a sewing machine on the ground and is sewing some of the decorations. And then I walked inside, and Jess is organizing the cookies that Emily Friedrichsen made. With Those cookies were amazing. I actually took a stack of them, and I hid them for my own stash. But later, a family said they didn't get any cookies. So you just can't keep cookies from kids. Like, I'm not a nice person, but even I know. If a kid didn't get a cookie, you got to give them their cookies. So I did. I get extra blessings in heaven for that. Then I walked in, and Sally was sitting on the ground. And Kylie was over there on the other side, and they were working on projects. And little Camry, who's this tall and is just joy incarnate, was walking back and forth, handing them things. And it was amazing because as I looked at this, each and every individual was using their gifts and their abilities and their creativity to make a place where people were able to connect with God and connect with each other. And it was glorious. And then Daniel Messward would get up and he presided over the event so that the Cornell event would be organized. And then the guy with the food truck and his family, and they were so sweet. And it was just this wonderful experience to come together. But I got to see from a distance a pageantry of creativity. Guess what our topic is today? So I'll be talking about confluence for the next half hour. <laughs> just kidding. We move in in our series established, and we're going to continue with our elements that make up Cornerstone, and we're going to talk about creativity. But creativity is one of those things that is very hard to define, and it's better to describe. The Oxford Dictionary says that the use of creat creativity is the use of skill and imagination to produce something new or to produce art. Meh. This is my definition. Meh. The activation of our God-given identity and imagination to bring innovation, beauty, and order to the world. The last week, I've been asking different friends who are creative in a variety of different fields, what is your definition? And most of my responses that I got back was, are you stuck in your sermon? 
Just kidding. What my response is they got is, let me get back to you. And see, here's some of the definitions because, or some of the descriptions because sometimes with something as complex as creativity, it is hard to confine to a definition, but it is almost like when you look at a painting and you have to describe what you see. And this is what some of my friends said. Creativity is me imitating God. To take every bit of the wild and whimsy and color and sound that is inside of me and to try to form it in a way that is accurately reveals Whatever revelation is speaking to me, it could be as silly or as fun or as serious or ironic or soft or even incredibly sad, but creativity allows the things that are almost inconsolable to be contained inside of me to be let out. That's beautiful. Another friend said, a deeply rooted passion or need to express in whatever medium, whatever lives within us, how we see the world, other people, history, God, etc., in a way that hasn't been seen or heard before. Another said, creativity is what happens when you express the unique design God has put in you. Another, creativity is the fruit of healthy imagination. God gifting us his imagination for his creation in a million different moments, in a million different ways, allowing us as humans to co-create with him and cultivate his creation to the best of our unique abilities couple more. One friend said, taking whatever resources you have, ideas, objects, talent, time, etc., and transforming them to produce something of greater value. It includes arts, but it also extends to problem solving, construction, raising children, negotiating, etc. Another friend said, creativity is letting go. And the final one said, creativity is oftentimes like alchemy. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you are here. And I just bless each and every one of my friends with the knowledge and myself that we are surrounded with the presence of God. Lord, may we feel that, see that, know that. May our senses be so aware of that. In these moments, Lord, I ask that you will speak and that you will unlock something in us. And what's of me will be quickly forgotten, but what's of you will stick. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. What I'd like to do for the time that I have with us today is not just stay in this description and giving definitions, but I want to release and unpack a statement. You ready? We are made in the likeness of the creator who invites us to participate in his masterpiece by contributing and cultivating our unique creativity. I want this to be in my life as someone who has fancied themselves a creative since a young age, though that definition and description oftentimes doesn't seem to fit right. But what I want it to be is not something that we understand and we can see, but it is something that is unlocked in us and that we can grab onto this statement and say almost instead of we, but say, I am made in the likeness of the creator who invites me to participate in his masterpiece by contributing and cultivating my unique creativity.
And so let's unpack that. The first thing I want to do is I want to back into that first sentence, that first phrase where it says that we are made in the likeness of the creator. And I want to focus on the creator. God, the creator, the most high, the one who was and is and is to come. And in Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this week, I noticed something I never have before. That the very first thing we learn about the nature and character of God is that he is creative. Scripture doesn't mess around by order. The fact that the very first thing that God wants us to know is that he's the origin, but he just opens it up by saying, I am the great artist. I am the master creator. I am the one who makes it all. Isn't that beautiful that the very first thing that God, who inspired the scripture, wants us to know is that he is creative. And then in the first paragraph, there's a poem, and he just goes off. It's like going into an artist's studio, a painter's studio, or going into a recording studio, or going into a place where people are making something and building something, and you just see creative, and you better wear a, 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 a apron because you're going to get it on you. Because God, in his beautiful ability as the creator, starts, and he looks out, and there's nothing and he almost has that divine paintbrush, and he says, here's what we're going to do. And the Father and the Son and the Trinity are there, and the creativity begins to well up, and they are inspired. And the first thing he looks out, and he sees that there's nothing, and he creates the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit is hovering over the abyss, the emptiness, and he says, let there be light. And there was light. And then after that, he says, let their light separate from the darkness. And then he starts working with the different mediums of light and darkness. And then he makes day and he makes night. And then he has sky, the heavens, and then he has water. And then he separates the water from the land. And then the land from the vegetation and the sky and the stars. And then he creates within the seas and the sky and the land these creatures to walk among us. It's just a beautiful piece not like, it's not just a PBS special of Bob Ross, but it's watching God do all of these things where he speaks and he separates and he's moving. And I can almost imagine the spirit, the son and the father going, oh, I like what you did there. What if we did this? Oh, I like that. What about this? And that there's this beautiful moment because God wants us to know in the very beginning that he is creative. And then he comes to the place and it's billowing up. And he says, I know what we're going to do. We're going to make man and woman. We're going to make them in our likeness, in our very image. What? Yes, you are. And he puts his very nature and his character into humanity. And then he says, you know what? I want you to be a part of that. And then he steps back and he says, it's time to rest. And he creates rest from work. God is so creative because not only does he do this, but he sets it in motion when humanity destro destroys his creation. He goes, that's all right. I'll fix that. And he begins to create the recreation and redemption. And he weaves that all the way through. And we see God is the creator. And one of the things he wants us to know first and foremost in the beginning is I'm creative. And he does it through two ways. Barah is the Hebrew word, and that is to create out of nothing. He does it through asha, which is to fashion or to make. 
And so God is the creator, and he wants us to know it right off the bat. Can I get a witness on that? Thank you, through your masks. The next thing as we move backwards, like a good Hebrew in that sentence, is that we are created in the likeness of God. He is the creator, and it says in Genesis 1:26, then God said, let us, stop for a second. The Word, which John tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The Spirit and the Father are there, and they say, let's make. They're talking to each other. There's this creative energy, this, this, this symmetry that is coming from them. Synergy, not symmetry, sorry, it's a different thing. The synergy that is coming from them. And they said, let's make them in our image. And so one of the things he does with humanity is he says to them, and he blesses them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so you and I have each been fashioned in the image and the likeness of the Most High God. That we have been given the ability and the inheritance to be creative. And that this has been embedded in the fabric of our being. Pause this sermon, I have to say something. One of the most tragic things that I hear oftentimes, because I run with creatives and artists and things, I have other friends, they say this, I'm just not creative. There are times when I look at myself and I'm just not creative enough. That is actually denying the image of the divine that has been placed in us. Can we stop that? Because each and every person, and I love this, even before salvation, has been imprinted with the creativity of God. Because you are fashioned in the likeness of a creative God. But God doesn't stop there. He just doesn't put it in us, but we move into this second part. He invites us to participate in his masterpiece. So he doesn't just make it and say, now this is in a museum. Everything that the hand of God touches, he puts in a museum, and he says, you can look at it. He says, no, I want you to participate in it. 109 years ago, when we, my wife and I were leaving Ashland, Ohio, where I'd been a college pastor on a campus for 12 years, our final service at the well, which was our college ministry, we had this student who was an amazing painter. And I was leading worship, and he was painting. And back in the early 2000s, it was a really hip thing to have painters and musicians and all kinds of stuff. Too many spilled paint on the carpet, and we kind of landed that plane. And also some awkward moments when someone wasn't good enough, and you're like, ooh, that's a bummer. <laughs> but he was painting. And it was amazing because he's such a skilled painter. His name is Matt Dermott. And then all of a sudden, this little six-year-old comes up to him. Well, that six-year-old is Addison Joy Wardle. And Addison Joy Wardle has no fear in those environments because she has grown up saying, my dad's up there. I deserve to be everywhere my dad is. And so many times, Grace and Addie would be on stage with me as I was leading worship. So it was like navigating this small little person. And as I'm leading, I look down, and Matt hands her a paintbrush. 
And she begins to paint too. And he's making this thing, and he doesn't care that it is getting all in the space of what he has made. But this piece was he handed her a brush, and she began to paint. I asked her last night, Addie, do you remember what it was? She said, it was a stick figure. And I love that. That this incredibly skilled artist handed some of his tools to a small child and said, Release your unique creativity. And we got to see that. And it's some of my favorite pieces on that painting. But we see that God invites us, like Matt did to Addie, to participate in the masterpiece. God could do it on his own. Could he not? Could he not do it all on his own? But yet, we see that in the garden, he says, I have placed my image in you and made you in my likeness, and now this is what I want you to do. I want you to partner with me in being fruitful and multiplying. And I want you to subdue and have dominion over all of my creation. I want you to interact. I want you to participate in it. Be a part of it. And then from there, we see that even when things really get bad and there's going to be a flood, he goes to Noah. Noah, I want you to participate in the recreation. And later on, when he's going to form and fashion a new people out of all people, he goes to Abraham. I want you to participate in this new creation of my blessed people. With Moses, <coughs> he calls Moses. To be a part. I want you to be a part of ratifying my covenant. I want you to be a part of it. And then we see that with David and Esther. And we see it with Mary that God could have just dropped his son, Messiah, on the scene. But what does he do? He says, no, that's not the way we're going to roll. And I think the incarnation of Jesus, the fact that the spirit hovers over Mary, and there is the creation of Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, is this image of the partnership of God. He wants to, us to participate in being creative. We see this all the way after that. Then even Jesus, in his brilliance, he doesn't just go and he sets the church up, but he hands it over to the people to say, I want to participate with you in creating my kingdom on earth. How is he going to do that? Through participating with us. Through co-creating with us. We are made in the likeness of the creator who invites us to participate in his masterpiece. What is his masterpiece? His will, his ways, his kingdom. How do we do this? We do this by contributing. I'm not a huge social media person. Just when we have a show for Francis. <laughs> but I was scrolling through and there's a painter, Scott the Painter, Scott Erickson, and he had this quote. He said, contribution over competition. And it just hit me of going, oh, as a creative person, all I am called to do is to contribute to what is going on. doesn't say how big, how small. I don't have to evaluate it. I don't have to measure it. I just be a part of what is going on, like Addie painting her little stick figure with the white paint in the masterpiece of someone who is very skilled. But we begin to, we are invited to participate with God through our contribution of our unique creativity. And I want to take a big swing at this and take a really big look at this. Because I think there's two major ways we see in the first chapter of Genesis that God invites us to contribute. 
And the first, in Genesis 1, 1 through 3, you've heard this already, but it's a little more. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. The first way that we are invited to contribute in being creative and participating with God is to fill the void. When there is nothing, we create something. Now, we don't have the ability like God of Barah, where it's out of nowhere, and I say, let there be light, and boom. That would be super fun. And it would be super helpful when I procrastinate if I could just speak something into existence. Also, when we're doing our building here, it would be great to just speak certain things in the building. Let there be walls. And there was. But we see that God has created us in his image. And we have this ability that our first contribution, whether you are a painter, a poet, whether you are a mathematician, a teacher, whether you are a farmer whether you are someone who wrangles children that are your own, that live in your house, what you are to do is in the image and the reflection of God is you fill the void. Where there is nothing, you bring something. And so sometimes for an author, you know what it is? It's an empty page. And you write through your imagination and your inspiration through your reflections, through your personality. There is an empty page, and you put something on the page. Maybe for music, there's a chord progression. And someone brings a melody over that chord progression, and they begin to sing. And now that chord progression that could have anything has now committed itself to a melody that is more, be- more beautiful than just the chord progression. And then maybe adding to that melody that doesn't have words, you place lyric. Does that make sense? That the idea is there is nothing. And through your unique personality, as a reflection of the likeness of God, you fill the void where there is nothing and bring something. Have you noticed that in this talk, and what I'm not going to do at all, is tell you how to become a better painter, a better singer, Better any of the things that we think of as the craft of art. But what I want us to do is back up and look of how as you as human who are created in the image of God can begin to unlock the creativity in which you have been made with. Because sometimes the beauty of filling an empty space is when a slanted courtyard surrounded by dirt piles with an old building on a dead-end street, becomes alive with the beauty of a party. And a void was filled, and it was amazing. So the first thing is you fill the void. We see that is from God. The second thing is to bring order. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. And God called the light day, And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning on the first day. So this isn't filling a space, but this is taking elements and beginning to arrange them in such a way. Organizing them. Choreographing them. One of the most beautiful scenes of this is when a conductor stands before an orchestra. And they begin. They actually don't play a note. 
They're not playing an instrument, and they're not making a sound. But what they're doing is organizing the motion of the music. And they're bringing order to what could be chaos. Imagine if all of those instruments just start playing whatever they want at the same time. Some of our rehearsals sound like that. But there's order that's brought. One of the ways I think this looks in the everyday is a counseling session. It's one of the most beautiful moments where order is brought. When someone who is hurting brings just a pile and a bucket and a heap of emotions and thoughts and just comes to someone and says, help, I don't know where to begin with this. And a trusted, kind, patient, wise caregiver begins to just order those thoughts in such a way and order the feelings in such a way and peace and beauty and order happen. Another way this happens is a strategic plan. Someone who is able to line up and say, this has to happen here, then this, then this, then this. A sales proposal. A classroom of children. Come on, for you teachers in the room, is that not bringing order to chaos? Is that not like the spirit hovering over the waters that is just teeming? And you're walking in, and even more than educating them, you are just trying to be like a conductor and sit them and calm them in such a way that this will not be utter chaos and that no one will leave harmed emotionally, physically, psychologically, most likely yourself. But that is creativity. Teachers in the room... Every time you walk in the classroom, you are reflecting the divine nature of God because you are bringing order to chaos and you're bringing beauty and that is changing lives. And I applaud you. Thank you. Our director of finance, Chuck Vaughn, he's like does masterpieces with budget sheets. Because he takes all the finances a cornerstone and in some sort of magic brings order to this and keeps us accountable so that we can pay our bills and do the things we need. I've told you before, I do art math where it's kind of like ish. I am not the person to bring order to the chaos of finances. But you know what? Some people, they're amazing at it. And that's a reflection of the divine nature of God. You're actually contributing to God's masterpiece by doing that. Just as much as I am when I write a song. It's equally creative. So how do we contribute? We fill the void. When we see there is a void, we bring something where there is nothing. And the other way we do that is we bring order. I want to read a couple more quotes, and sorry, there's so many things and, 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 and that I want to convey in this. But some of these quotes, one of Brian Greene, who is a theoretical physicist at Columbia University, he says, he says, you look out in the world and you see patterns, and from them you infer general truths and make predictions about what should you do next. It is quite similar in my mind to the creative arts. Because it's all about recognizing and leveraging patterns. Dr. Neil Risch, a professor at the University of California School of Medicine, he says, as a human geneticist who conducts statistical research, I'd like to think of myself as a creative person, as an artist, but with data. 
My paint is data, and my paintbrushes are statistical tools. I love that. Today, I want to shatter and break our idea that creativity is limited to things that we call arts, but that all things we do that fill the empty void and that bring order is in the divine nature of creativity. So how do we cultivate this in our life? There's many books on creativity. The Artist's Way is an amazing book, and there's many things. But there are four things, and I will be brief with these, because I've given you 72 points this morning. But there's four things that are inspiring me in creativity, inspiring me and lifting my eyes to realize that I am made in the likeness and the image of the Creator. And that he is inviting me to participate in his ongoing masterpiece through contributing what I have. And this is the way I feel inspired to cultivate it. The first thing for us to cultivate creativity is we notice the sublime. We notice the sublime. Sublime, the meaning is the tendency to aspire awe usually because of an elevated quality, as of beauty, nobility, or grandeur, or transcendent excellence. The sublime is something bigger than us that begins to inspire us into awe. And I love this because what the sublime does is takes our eyes off to, uh, takes my eyes off the 24-hour-a-day fixation with myself, and it lifts my eyes to something that is bigger than me. In the last month, I had the privilege and one of the hardest things I've ever done, opportunity to drive my beloved Grace Ryan Wardle to college. She moved away. Grace goes to school now in uh, Arizona and Grand Canyon University, and if I cry, it's just, I miss that kid. Dang it. But we were driving. And I had been reading Abraham Heschel, and he had been talking about the sublime, that which lifts our eyes, that which causes grandeur, that moves us away from what is going on inside and lifts us to the beauty and the grandeur of God and his creation. And so I said, God, I got so much going on in the cauldron of my emotions and thoughts as a dad who's saying goodbye and life is changing to my daughter. I said, help me notice the sublime. So Brian helped me to take the route because I am directionally challenged. I've shared with you many times that on my way to Cornerstone from Longmont, I always end in El Dorado Canyon because I miss the turn, and there is no turns from here to there. So that little convenience store, thank you. <laughs> and so we're driving there. And one of the things that was amazing is as we go through the routes, you go through some of this gorgeous terrain and gorgeous country but you come up over one of the mountains and as you do it opens up and you look and there is this greenery and it's lush and in that moment I was just lifted from my own starry state of listening to sad music because my daughter's moving away and I began to look out and see the sublime and it was a reflection of the divine and going oh my gosh God you were so big because the vastness of the space made me feel small and I was caught up in that. And we drove for longer. And then we come up over another place. And you go through this little canyon. And you open it up. And the next is it's all red rock and clay. 
And so you go from green and then you go into the reds and you see these bluffs and these cliffs and they're gorgeous. And Grace and I began to talk about the sublime, that which is so grand and big, it lifts you from yourself and inspires you in awe. And then we go over the next and it opens up into the desert area where it was white and you get the idea. But there was these moments where the sublime began to lift my eyes from my own state to be filled with awe and wonder. And when we notice the sublime, I believe it unlocks our creativity because we begin to get inspired. And it comes through our personalities. Through me, it was lyric. For others, it may be looking at a problem. How can looking at the grandeur of God help you face a mathematical problem? I don't know. My mind doesn't work that way. But I do know that when people are able to take their eyes off themselves and on something bigger, creativity is locked. I won't go into the neuroscience of that because I don't understand it. Abraham Heschel says, lift up your eyes and see. How does a man lift up his eyes and see a little higher than himself? For the grand premise of religion is that man is able to surpass himself. What he's, able to, what he's saying is, how do we get past ourselves? We look at the sublime and we're able to look and see something that is bigger, more beautiful, more organized than we could ever be. Thomas Merton said, the whole world is, in, is charged with the glory of God and I feel fire and music under it. We cultivate our creativity through noticing the sublime, which is the antidote to self-consciousness. The next thing, you still with me? We good? Let me get a drink here. We apply curiosity. I love the show Ted Lasso. Um, if you haven't seen it, there's a lot of swearing. Warning if you're like families gathered around, you're like, oh, whoops. <laughs> but one of the things is there's a scene where he's throwing darts, and one of the things he says is people underestimated him all the time because they weren't curious, they didn't ask questions. When we want to cultivate a life of creativity, we must live the applied art of curiosity. Oftentimes, Western Christians are terrified of questions, we want absolutes. We don't want questions. But our Jewish forefathers, they were not afraid of questions. Bob Mankoff, who's a cartoonist and editor of the New York Magazine, he says, Jewish creativity comes from a number of things. Curiosity, love of learning, and love of a good argument. The Torah is all about questions, and creativity comes from the questioning the status quo. Jewish creativity is all about what if. Creativity arises, Jared Schroeder, a physicist, says, creativity arises from wonder, from being amazed at the magnificence of the world, magnificence of the world, wondering what underlying all the amazing complexities we see around us. My friend Deb Bacchus gave me this verse, Proverbs 25, 2. It's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search them out. This curiosity that we apply it to life, that when we are moving through life, that multiple times through the day, we ask the question, why? Can that not be a terrifying question? Why? And then there's another question, what if? Because what if is a question of the imagination. 
and is curious. And so first, for us to cultivate a life of, curio- of creativity and whatever that looks like for your life is we notice the sublime. The second thing we apply, curiosity. The next is we look for surprises. When my kids were getting dropped off at school, I would say to them a couple things, remember who you belong to, but I'd also say look for surprises. Be aware. And surprises are those serendipitous moments, those moments when things that are good or agreeable happen that you did not expect. And so you're on the lookout for it, for the serendipitous moment. And that's a big fancy word, but I just love it because we don't use it a lot, just like sublime. The serendipitous moment when things come together and you go, sorry, excuse me, mask, not COVID. When things come together and it's almost like it's a wink from God and you see it and you go, there's a surprise. I just saw a glimpse of the glory and the goodness of God in the land of the living right there. Simple little example of this. My friend Jonas Friedrichsen and I were hanging out and I was trying some of this sermon on him giving him my best. And I was telling him about sublime, the sublime. And we were excited because we're both creative individuals. And guess what band comes on as we're playing? Pearl Jam. Just kidding. It was sublime. (laughs) And I was sitting there, and he's like, this is sublime. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. You know, people are looking at us like, what's wrong with you guys? But it was just this wink of God going, you guys are on to something. And looking in the everyday for those moments when your eyes are lifted up to see the grandeur and you're inspired past yourself. And then you're looking in the weeds for those moments throughout the day that you see these surprise instances where the creativity of God breaks in and goes, I hear you two talking. The next thing and the final thing is we use crisis as a muse. That the crisis and the obstacles of our life are now opportunities instead of things where we shrink back. Madeline Langle, who's an author I love, she writes, Sometimes the very impetus of overcoming obstacle results in a surge of creativity. It is our response that we are given the gift of helping God write our story. So, when a worldwide pandemic is thrust upon us. Could not that be a muse of creativity? Edwin Friedman, author I've talked about a lot, uh, family systems therapist, rabbi, but one of the things he writes about, that there was an emergence out of the dark ages, some of the middle ages, the worst time in maybe human history, where there's just sickness, all of this happened. Something began to bubble up, and the people began to shift their mindset from just dealing with the problems and looking at, woe is me, and they began to move from having that crisis be something that destroyed them, that it was amused to something greater, and from that began one of the most dramatic and exciting times in the arts and exploration in the sciences because they stepped in and allowed the crisis of a time to become a muse instead of something that would cause them to shrink back. So for you and for me, what does it look like for you to, in the crisis that you are in, whether large or small, to begin to apply this question. What could be? What could come of this? 
And so as I land this plane, creativity is something that's hard to define. It needs to be more described. But I hope that we activate this statement that we are made in the likeness of the creator who invites us to participate in his masterpiece by contributing, cultivating our unique creativity. John, can you put that prayer, whoever's running slides, would you mind putting that prayer up there for me? As the band comes out and the lights come down, I just invite the Holy Spirit who's already here begin to move. I invite you to just take a posture. I can't help myself of expectation and surrender. That you just open up your right hand in expectation to God that he'll do something that you know he's going to move and do something. And that you open up your other hand and surrender. And the prayer's behind me, and I'm going to read this. And if this becomes your prayer, I ask you to lift it to the Lord. I'm going to pray it twice. Father, Son, and Spirit, you are so amazingly creative. Thank you that you have made me in your image and likeness. Just stay there a moment. Would you thank God that he has made you in his image and his likeness? And I want you to just settle past those things about yourself. You're like, but I'm so this, and I'm so that, and I'm too much of this, and I'm not enough of that. And he just hushes you like a father does a child. He says, listen. I've made you in my likeness and my image. You can't even help it. Would you receive and be able to say this statement? And because of this, I am uniquely creative. I need you to say it because it's true. And because of this, I am uniquely creative. Would you expand my view of creativity? And would you awaken my imagination to what could be? May I fill the void with innovation, beauty, and may I bring order. Today I say yes to partnering with you, God. Help me to see the sublime all around me 
to be less critical and more curious, to be aware of surprise moments, and to respond to crisis with courage and faith rather than fear and hiding. I'll pray this again. I invite you to pray with me. Father, Son, and Spirit, you are so amazingly creative. And thank you that you have made me in your image and likeness. Because of this, I'm uniquely creative. Expand my view of creativity and awaken my imagination to what could be. May I fill the void with innovation, beauty. May I bring order. I say yes to partnering with you, God. Help me to see the sublime all around me, to be less critical and more curious, to be aware of surprise moments, and to respond to crisis with courage, faith, rather than fear and hiding. Lord, I bless my friends that you may unlock what you have placed in them, that they may say yes to partnering and participating with you, and they may see that you love their contribution, and through your Spirit, may you bring about more creativity. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, the prayer team will be up here. If you want to join your hearts in prayer, we invite you.